it's similar to managing the communication you know, in prior to the COVID environment. You have to establish how the person wishes to communicate, what level they wish to communicate on. So when I meet a client, you know, ask them those questions directly. Are you comfortable with this kind of communication? Do you want a weekly update? Do you want to, what's the cadence for meetings? Welcome to CMC Live. This is the show where we discuss CMC regulations and guidances simplified through real-life experiences and risk-based advice. Each episode, we speak with subject matter experts as well as other leading industry authorities. With your host, Ed Naki. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to CMC Live. Happy 2021. This is definitely not the start of our second season, a continuation of last year. So we have a few more podcasts to fill before we start to reformat things and do some more interesting things. So anyway, today I wanted to talk a bit about you know how project management fits into the drug development continuum. And we'll have a guest uh, on shortly here, Paul Long, who has some great history and experiences. So once upon a time, this was the way of things. You know, most projects happened in-house or at least locally, and the activities they required weren't very complicated, or some folks didn't think they were. Uh, in today's global farm environment with the pandemic, even, you know, the days of such simplicity are pretty much gone. So instead, now the plus one person in the N plus one equation is the glue that holds the complex activities together for a company, uh, if you think about it. And that person, you know, is typically called project manager. So simply stated, you know, project management, what is that PMing, right? It's the management of people, activities, time, and money towards the successful completion of any stated goal, right? So that sounds easy, and we do it all the time in our daily lives with our families, for example. Uh, but it's imperative in the complex world of pharmaceuticals and biotechs to have a single point person responsible for ensuring that the uh, pieces of all the pieces of a project come together efficiently, effectively, and on schedule. So picture this. Uh, first... Consider the management of people. You know, imagine that you're a team leader of a group responsible for delivering a phase one clinical trial material, say an antibody in this case, antibody product. You're excited to be chosen as a team leader, of course, because it's an excellent chance to develop your career and you know get that exposure and experience and do your craft. But of course, it comes in addition to your regular technical responsibilities. You know, you have another role, right? Your person responsible for the expression, filtration, and purification of of that antibody, let's say. So as a team leader, you need to coordinate with the various functions, including uh, the groups, you know, the analysts, the analytical formulators, the clinical manufacturing personnel, even the clinicians in some instances, you know, all in order to outline activities that must be accomplished to get the product to the clinic in the supply chain. So you meet with your team every week to discuss the status of the program. You go through the chart step-by-step to ensure that everyone is working together, you know, to meet this impossible deadline, of course. It works hard, intense, and time-consuming, but, you know, progress is generally made. Um, You have a cohesive team progressing at an acceptable pace. So it sounds easy, right? So the classic view, and this is still the case and probably always will be, you know, management comes in and asks you, how many technical personnel does it take to complete a project when there's a kickoff? And of course, you know, the answer here is, you know, X number. And, you know, they, they come back with, you know, we'll throw as many people in as it takes to get the product out the door and get the job done. So that's obvious, you know, the technical skill sets, subject matter experts are, are recognized. Um, so then you ask them, you know, how many project managers does it take to complete this project can we have? And they, they say zero. 
and they say, you know, they don't do anything really meaningful anyway, do they? And we've all had experiences with PMing and Gantt charts, and we can talk talk to that. But the reality is that they're, the value of a project manager, especially a good one, is probably always, it's under-recognized. Um, so in that example, uh, you know, now that the antibody is, is in the process, it's purified, it's passed off to the analytical and the formulators, you know, they work with the clinical manufacturing group to scale it up and make the full formulation batches. The product goes to release testing labs. At the same time, it goes to the packaging group for labeling. Um, you know, the drug, hopefully it's found to be within specifications and can be released for shipping, you know, to the appropriate test sites and clinical trial sites, uh, just as the flow chart says, and just in time, well, that would be ideal, but someone forgot to include shipping personnel in the project team. So they would know that this particular antibody had to be kept cold, for example, and this happens. Neither were they told that the product couldn't be shipped on Fridays because no one would be at the clinic to receive it over the weekend and store it at the five degrees required. So in this case, for example, seen this before, the, the precious drug was shipped at ambient summer temperatures and sat on a loading dock for 48 hours over the weekend. I know, no. So you get a call Monday morning and find out the whole clinical program is now delayed by months because no one managed the shipping department. And this is the moment when you, as a team leader, wish that you had a project manager on the case, right? So two things in my mind that project managers do, um, doing do things meaningful and they manage resources in essence, right? So among other things, you know, doing things, something meaningful for, for sure, project manager role and responsibilities to ask questions of the project team, you know, to ensure all the appropriate steps are taken in the prog uh, program is executed as expected. So this person's role also includes outlining all pertinent operations, keeping track of how uh, they interact with one another and making sure all the appropriate people, in fact, are included and informed um, and also have approved on things, right, for the process. So for example, the project manager could have apprised the shipping department of that hypothetical drugs logistics issues and you know that two or three month delay and countless dollars in costs would probably have been reverted. So PM activities extend not only to the team responsible for the technical operations, the scientists, the manufacturing folks, the shipping personnel, but this also includes the management team, the strategy operations side as well, upper management, upper executives, um, you know, who typically establish a program definition in the first place. And, and you know, they have this say on when, when things happen, of course, and needs, right? So there's the strategic vision um, needs to be translated and communicated to the tactical team. So all involved are clear about the expectations and that's the project manager's responsibility to take that vision and track it for the team, you know, to ensure that the members stay true through their intentions. So project manager can also help prepare and present their strategy for the overall plans and mitigation of risks to upper management. And I'll get on, on this later for crisis management. Uh, I think a synonym for sometimes for good project managers. Um, so finally, something goes wrong and, and inevitably will if, if anyone's worked in drug development. The project manager is often faced with tempering the expectations of upper management um, so, that, you know, so that they understand what has happened and why. So in many companies, team leaders double as project managers again. And sometimes this works, especially if these people are well-versed in the entire chain of events from start to finish of the program, including events, of course, outside their own areas of expertise. Often, however, that you know the team leader also has his or her own activities to address and to do and carry out, which again consumes a lot of the time and effort beyond project management. So, it can help a team tremendously to have one person that is, who's fully and completely responsible for managing all activities and communications through meetings, minutes, any other interactions. An assigned project manager can also track the details of all resources, personnel, and otherwise. 
And then on top of that, you know, doing something meaningful, which I kind of like outlined there and clearly, you know, s- talked about the importance, you know, managing those resources, the second part, second branch of a PM, I would think uh, we can talk to Paul about this credit for the introduction of current project management practices um, goes to Harry Gantz. If anyone knows that name, as it's familiar, it's the, he's the industrial engineer who introduced that famous Gantt chart nearly a hundred years ago. Um, computer simulations and new software available obviously but you know that all said and we'll save our conversations our thoughts on what we think of gantt charts but you know communications is the key so gantt charts um are kind of a means to an end so they can track just a few tasks or delineate a you know plethora of tasks and they're still very useful if used properly and the number of tasks included should reflect um only those needed though to ensure the proper communications you know um so critical juncture, some details may need to be added, such as the shipping, you know, in the example that I mentioned. Um, if that improves performance, uh, then you do it. If uh, if you find, however, that your team spends more time updating its Gantt chart than doing the actual work it's meant to track, then yeah, use some other tool. And there are a plethora of things out there right now. So today we have Paul Long, exactly, on the podcast. Um, so Ed, who um, who is myself, uh, I can share a few great stories about how I met Paul and got to know him a little bit, but I'll do that later. Um, just some background. Paul has supervised governmental, regulatory, pharmaceutical industries, clear business process person, 20 years plus. And uh, his his skills, I, I would say, are you know, managing interdependencies of manufacturing and regulatory teams you know, to drive a process, drive a drug development uh, program. Uh, currently, he directs cross-functional teams here, you know, match, matches the desired technical expertise, works with the customer and the partner to execute the work plan to meet the project deadlines. Very important. Um, he prioritizes, and he's good at this, the importance of budgets, you know, scope of work, making sure they're aligned and, and kept in check, and then the endpoints by targeting the, you know, the client's strategic goals to understand where the projects fit into the portfolio and timing. Um, he also does a really good job of monitoring the impact of any changes on the risks and minimizes the impact, hopefully, to the project scope in order to make the project more successful. So, so Paul, let's get to this episode. Uh, let's get it started by going into some of your background, some of your experiences, and what you do. Um, so how'd you get started, and what are your thoughts? Thank you, Ed. Thank you for the introduction. Good morning to everybody. My background comes from an operational, a lot of life science experience. And along the way, I have a pretty well-rounded resume. I've done a lot of IT work. I've done a lot of clinical work. I began in the emergency department of a hospital and worked my way up through management directorships and spent a lot of time consulting on the operational side. During that journey, I obtained my project management professional certification. I also have an agile certification became involved in the pharmaceutical industry a few years back, working with a major consulting firm. And I spent time at a very large global pharmaceutical and their regulatory department. That exposed me to that side of the work and I gained a lot of knowledge and I have to thank the people who helped me along the way. Began working with PCI about a year and a half ago, began working with DSI, lucky enough to run into Brian and Ed through a common contact and immediately was placed on some of the regulatory filing work, done a number of INDs, IND amendments, had a successful BLA submission recently, 
and have been lucky enough to work with a lot of smart people at DSI, and I've really enjoyed it. Thank you, both of you. So, okay, Paul, I, you know, the one thing, if you look at your career and you match it up against what you're doing now, one of the things that really jumps out in a typical project management environment, you have aspects of it that are virtual. There are aspects of it. There are conference calls, especially in today's climate, it's become very, very normal. But with DSI, you're working completely virtual. So when you look at the types of clients that we have, they're both small and and medium-sized companies. When you, given all of your background, all of your qualifications as a project manager, what are some of the benefits of being completely virtual as a project manager? I'm lucky enough to have been a virtual project manager for a while now before I joined DSI. And what I'm finding about that is... Now, of course, it saves travel time. It saves things like that. But there are challenges there. And it's not much different from the same challenges that you have when you're in place in real time. It's communication. It's visibility. It's transparency. What I've found at DSI is most of the people that we work with here are virtual and are used to that environment. There are some tasks that we've always performed on site. CMO audits, site visits, things like that. But we're fairly comfortable with the virtual environment. That allows us to be flexible in who we staff. That's a plus. It allows us to be flexible in our time. When there is a global project, we are in the same environment in our home offices or wherever we are and able to join those things. That flexibility has always been there with DSI. I think what we're seeing now and the change in environment is more of our clients joining that virtual team where they've been consolidated at a single site with their organization. Now we're able to bring them into more of the virtual environment and they're becoming comfortable. Something that DSI is good at and we're bringing our clients along. No, yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, I think you're right. I think the one thing to not lose sight of is the fact that you can be flexible in your project teams bring people on. And, and that's often appealing to, to various companies and their budgets. I think having that, that flexibility virtually is important. Now, you kind of touched on what are some of the challenges, say, to traditional project management and completely virtual? And let's start first with just internal challenges you have in project management. Well, the first, I always start with communication. Communication is key. Now, and establishing communication. And in a virtual environment, there's a little bit of a challenge there. When you're in person, there's a quick read. There's an easier read to the person, the people around you and your teammates. And that involves knowing how people are comfortable with communication, what level of communication they need, whether you're communicating to a peer, to a client, to a C-suite level, to a let's say, a SME level, you have to establish how you're going to communicate and everybody has to be comfortable and understand how that communication will occur. It's easier when you're face-to-face. Visiting a client, I used to find a lot of value in that. I don't get to do that now. But um, what we've moved towards, these virtual communications, people are becoming more comfortable with the virtual communication. And by that, I mean the the different, there are enough platforms now, whether it's a webcast, Teams, the Zoom, whatever you're using, people are becoming more comfortable with turning the video on. We're seeing each other. That's not exactly virtual in the sense that you know, 
I see your face now. I know what your expression is. You see me. We get to know each other a little bit better in these meetings. And I see people becoming more comfortable with that. So that's really, I mean, it is, it's much different than the traditional conference call. And there's something to be said for that. And, and it was, if you realize at the beginning of COVID and the beginning of all of this isolation that we're all actually become pseudo accustomed to, no one used their cameras. They, they really didn't. They didn't use their cameras until you started asking and people started feeling comfortable. But you're, I think you're absolutely right. It opens up much more in terms of interpersonal relationships because you can see them. And it's somewhat disarming if you can see the person on the other side. And it makes me more comfortable with who I'm speaking to. Um, I also find more and more people are quicker. Maybe it's they're getting to know us and some of our SMEs are getting to know me. I have people picking up the phone and calling me more often. Mm -hmm. They know they can do that. And maybe it's because we've met in video chat and we've talked to each other. They see the kind of person I am. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great point. And I, I think it's an evolution, right? I mean, it, it really has been. And I, I feel as though now we're, we're kind of hitting our stride virtually where this stuff just becomes the norm. Now, the other part of this, though, is clients. And clients come in all shapes and sizes. And when you're working with them virtually, some are more adapt to working virtually, some are not. So how do you manage that? It's similar to managing the communication, you know, in prior to the COVID environment. You have to establish how the person wishes to communicate, what level they wish to communicate on. So when I meet a client, you know, ask them those questions directly. You know, are you comfortable with this kind of communication? Do you want a weekly update? Do you want to, what's the cadence for meetings? How do you want meetings to be held? What kind of an agenda do you want? And it's those same questions and this time, instead of setting up a meeting, which is just a phone call or a meeting in person, it's setting up a meeting that involves the possibility of video too. I find that our clients are pretty quick to use the video. And I think they appreciate seeing our faces and seeing our expressions. When it involves a third party, a CMO, I find that the CMOs come on board with the video a little bit later. But I think that helps everybody to join as a team. And I encourage that. Now, okay. So, I mean, I think that's a really good point. And now you've set the parameters. You move forward with projects. You have the relationships internally already built in. And if all is right with the world, then we move forward. Now, in that vein, and the reason I'm asking you these questions is because folks that are listening to the podcast, one of the things that I've learned over time is that people often question the value of project management. We're challenged with it every day where someone will say, really, why do I need a project manager? Because I'm doing this aspect of this project on the side and it's going just fine. And, you know, I used to struggle with that response, kind of a just wait and see, and it'll become clear to you very soon why you need a project manager. But let's say you're in a situation now, you've got these relationships established, all the introduction are done. What tools can you use in a project? Do you find that you use often to really set the tempo and the expectations for how the project's going to be run. Personal tools or physical tools, online tools, are all part of it. Yes. I like to keep things moving. And very often there's a funnel. Funnels occur because the SMEs are working different projects. The funnels occur because our clients have multiple tasks to perform. I'm not their only interest. And I am able to keep that focus going. So what I try to do is keep track of what are, you know, what are the dates and what are we shooting for? And I have to integrate 
our team and the client's needs into a common goal and make sure we're meeting them. Plenty of things can happen. We've had clients hit by COVID internally. We've had learning curves on systems and platforms. All of those things can delay or can you know create roadblocks to getting things done. And it's not just that, it's bringing the people into the meetings at the correct time. There are reviews going on on both sides. Sometimes those reviews can be delayed. People have other priorities. Unexpected things happen. And knowing how to keep that schedule going, for instance, uh, on a current briefing book, it's going back between a global organization. We have people reviewing the document on our side here in the United States. We have people on their side in the United States and also in, on different continents. They all have their own schedules and knowing and communicating when those things will happen and making sure that the handoffs happen keeps this moving to the point that we're going to make a predetermined goal that was kind of shot out in the air. I, and I'm very happy about that. And I think the client and the people too appreciate that what we've done is be able to keep everybody coordinated and meet that time goal. Yeah, so if I can add some things, I wanted to go back. And certainly things have evolved. Technology has evolved. Talking to folks one year ago, we would have never predicted that we would be doing a podcast, let alone talking about you know, meeting people on, on screen. So you know, once upon a time, there was a way of things, right? You know, Most projects happened in-house. When I got started, you know, I went to an office, there was a PM, there was folks around the table in a conference room, at least locally, you would have folks dial in, but not so much the case. So we have jumped ahead of the telephone call. There is some benefits to have video screens. And as Brian mentioned, I went to pull these two together. There is a value and importance of having a project manager in any project. So simply stated, what is project management? I, you know, kind of battered this around for my whole career here. You know, managing people, activities, time, money, budget, scope of work, you know, to complete the goal. So it sounds easy. I think we all do this in our uh, daily lives, right? We get out of bed and literally we're all project managers, some better than others, right? So I kind of want to talk to Paul. I mean, you have some good history with us now, uh, working with small emerging biotechs, uh, very innovative, you know, very forward thinking, moving very fast, and a lot of times with limited budget. Can you give us some, you know, loose examples of how project management fits into this drug development continuum? You know, maybe some things that you kind of see from that side that, you know, maybe folks out there listening to the podcast can appreciate or actually maybe just, you know, triggers trigger something about it that that might help them. As, as Brian mentioned, you know, a lot of folks look at it as overhead. You know, they're hiring folks, subject matter experts that are going to do something at a chair. But, you know, like anything, like a team, if without a coach, without a you know manager, for example, you know, sometimes there's incohesiveness there, right? There's not a plan. It's not communicated. So can you talk to us about, you know, your role and maybe some of the projects that you've worked on without details? You know, how does that, that role fit into the drug development process? Well, we're seeing a lot of the challenges haven't changed with COVID, but the environment, our work environment has. So a lot of it is still coordination between the different working parts and the client, and we help out with that. On our side, we're very communicative, and one of the things that we do try to do is have some an internal cadence and discussion between the different areas, regulatory, drug substance, drug product, quality assurance. We have multiple SMEs working for a client. We find that it's helpful for ourselves 
to sit and talk about what's going on and a lot of cross-sharing of information. I find that mirrors what's going on in the client sometimes. And I find clients that we can often help by improving their internal communications when we talk about what we're seeing in different areas in our own discussions. For instance, linking up the clinical, the supply chain, along with the some of the drug substance, drug product supply chain. Sometimes, very often recently, we've found that we've been able to help on the dependencies there. Documentation dependencies that are affecting the clinical supply and the depots and what's going on as they try to move things into clinical trials in different areas of the world. Again, it comes down to communication, transparency, open discussion. And that's one of the things that I try as a project manager to drive, make sure that the right people are talking. We asked the question briefly about, you know, what tools do you use? But I know that there's always flexibility with um, our clients and preferred tools to use. But have you found anything to be a very effective project management tool, particularly just from my own knowledge? With everybody going virtual, it's there are some tools that we all use when we're sitting in the same room, desktop tools things. And a lot of this, most of it is moving to web-based, cloud-based. There are questions about that that I won't discuss here, the security, the, the logins and all. All that affects our work, though. I'm probably using, and you're probably using maybe four or five different platforms for video conferencing right now, depending on mm-hmm. who's on the call and who schedules it. But what I'm finding on the project management side now is that people are exploring different tools to support the collaborative effort. And that's not just the work plan, which in the old days was always MS Project. Everybody knew MS Project or Jira and a few others. Mm -hmm. But now people are looking at the web-based versions of those, for instance, Office 365 and Teams. But there are other products on the market now that have some advantages and make it easy to collaborate and share these tools inside and even outside the organization that we're using. For instance, at DSI, we've begun experimenting and some of our clients are already using this with us, something called Smartsheet. I've used some other products as well. Those tools change the game when you're able to share things that way and look at the same project plan. These, these new project planning tools also allow us to create dependencies across organizations if we use them right. There are what I would call uh, social networking aspects to them and tracking aspects outside of the project plan where people can collaborate and have discussion groups online, project teams, right. much like social networking. Okay. So I just got a, a note from one of the listeners and there's a question for you, Paul, the utility of a Gantt chart. So most oftentimes, good question here, right? I associate myself with the Gantt chart with project management. Can you tell us as the Gantt chart change in the virtual worlds? Is that something that's still, you know, kind of common use? Is there other things out there that uh, kind of take the place of the Gantt chart? No, I don't think the Gantt chart goes away. Um, I think it becomes easier to use. I didn't like the Gantt chart in certain of the older platforms. I can produce one easier in some of the new tools. I think more importantly, are you producing the right Gantt chart for the right audience? You know, is it, do you have the correct milestones on there? Is there a discussion at what level, what you're tracking? You know, the roadmap for the C-suite 
looks different than the roadmap for the drug product people. So I think the use of the Gantt chart only expands as the tools make it easier to produce them and to use and to update them. Yeah, I think we've seen where Gantt charts, they have to still serve a purpose. I mean, we've seen also where they've taken on a life of their own and they're now consuming resources just on the, the status of the Gantt chart. And, and you have to step back and look, is the tool really serving the purpose? And I think that's what gains the respect of the client and of the internal team members if you've got a tool that people really can base decisions off of. But I think to your point, Paul, that easier to use makes it a little more efficient, a little more effective. And that's really what it becomes. But I think to caution, you really have to look at how the tools are used to make sure they don't consume resources just on that alone, you know? Same thing, Brian. And we might not just say Gantt chart, but what we're also looking at now are some of the dashboards. Mm -hmm. And in my in past jobs, I would produce monthly dashboards that might take me all week to produce. Yeah. I don't like spending my time that way. And, and some of these new tools, these collaborative tools can be set up to produce dashboards on demand. If you're not doing that, you should question, is there a better tool? Why do I have people spending? I don't want to spend my time, client time, creating a dashboard. I want to run a dashboard. Yeah. You know, I want to set that dashboard up once. I want to set that Gantt chart up to where it pulls milestones and all I have to do is hit a button once a month and say, here's the dashboard. Here's what we expected. Here's where we are. Yeah. It becomes meaningful. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Okay. So we've talked a lot about some of the aspects of working virtually, uh, pros and cons, some of the tools that we use. If you were to sum it up and you were to say, why is project management important? And because think about the audience at sometimes, because like I said, at the beginning of the call, you've, you've got folks that may question the need for it. Is it cost effective to have project management? Is it another layer? People are always very adverse to layers. So what would you say in terms of what's the benefit of effective project management? Risk management, that things don't go awry. That someone is stepping back and taking that look at the pieces, the dependencies, you know, keeping the communication up avoids risk. We don't want surprises unless they're good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. That's right. Boring is okay. Exactly. Boring yeah. is great. Oh, okay. when exactly as expected. We recognize something going wrong in the middle of the project and we're able to mitigate that. Um, we're able to inform the affected parties. Yeah. That doesn't occur without someone taking a step back from time to time, you know, on a weekly basis talking to the client, saying things are going well. If it keeps that boring look up, great. Yeah. No, that, that, I think it's very well put. You're right. I mean, I think it comes down to its risk mitigation, its efficiencies that are built into the processes. It's all those things that we mentioned at the top of the podcast, because I think people do it as a side job, so to speak, to what their no. other projects, whether it's the lead chemist on a project, it's someone who's been given the project and regulatory. There's so many other aspects to run. And, and CMC is, is a very broad term, right? I mean, it covers a lot of different areas. I think one of the advantages to effective project management that you touched on is it really letting them know there's a central point of contact. Because if the need changes and there's an expanded need or reduced scope, they have one person to talk to. And I think that really resonates with clients that you know, when I'm in trouble or if I have a question or if my board's asking a question, I have one phone number to call. And if that person doesn't know the answer, they can certainly find it. And I think that really kind of sums up effective project management. Absolutely. 
I agree, Brian. And as you mentioned earlier and often, you know, the classic view of a PM, right? You start a project, how many technical experts do we need to complete the project? You know, we need N plus one. That's great. You know, we know we, what we need to do here. And then the next question, how many project managers do we need a project manager to complete? How many, right? How many do we need? Zero. They don't do, do anything meaningfully anyway, right? And that's normally the train of thought, but there is a meaningful, you know, sometimes I call it crisis management. The folks that were good PMs that I worked with over the years, the really good ones really kind of took a crisis and diffused it, you know, and then made the goal happen. So with that, I guess we can go in a little bit into how I got to know Paul, kind of assimilate this. I always kind of find analogies to his work here as a project manager. Over the summer, we went deep sea fishing and we started off getting up early in the morning. I, had, I brought my two sons with me and, uh, you know, Paul was very organized. We only went on a certain day with a certain water situation and had to be the right circumstances. So he navigated us out to a wreck off of the Atlantic, uh, Atlantic City, I guess, area. Uh, by the way, Paul's from um, Summers Point, New Jersey, very nice town down there. But anyway, I, what was the name of the wreck, by the way? Do you remember, Paul? It'll come back to me. We were about, mm, I'd say, 30 miles offshore. Yeah, 30 yeah. miles. And it was a pleasant day. But of course, myself and my family have genes for seasickness, apparently. <laughs> so long and short of it, I'll end the story. But we you know, we were successful in getting some fish, got back safely, and uh, kind of akin to what Paul does here. You know, as far as projects go, he does make sure that the uh, the goal is, is, is set and made and delivered. So that said, if it didn't come back to you, I'll have to look it up and we'll put it on the podcast notes. Yep. At this point, any, any other questions, uh, just general one-off funny jokes, anybody add anything? You know, yeah. I'd like to make one point, too, that sometimes there's the question, and, and you asked, what do I need a project manager for? And I want to differentiate between a project coordinator and a project manager. It's not simply coordination skills. It's not keeping the dates, making the meetings. That's one of the things I take care of, and I'm, I think I'm okay at that. But it's also the soft skills. And you know, sometimes that means dealing with a personality. Sometimes that means recognizing a personal issue on your team and helping that person out. And that only comes through time and experiencing some of those things and being able to support your team as well as the client in that mode. That's a great point. Okay, Paul, with that, thanks again. It was great to have you. And we look forward to talking to you in the future. So in summary, project management and pharmaceutical development, drug development. So we covered a few things this week. Um, project manager is best served with good working knowledge of the drug development process. That's first and most important. Such knowledge will help him or her map out goals and understand what they mean to a company as well as what resources are required to reach any goals and estimate how, how much time and money you know will be required to attain these goals. So each company has its own estimates. But this, these type of uh, tasks are, um, you know, all the same for for drug development. Um, different different types of products, but uh, you know, more or less the same pathway from phase one to commercial. So throughout that process, a company maintains or should maintain a contact with the regulatory agencies. We mentioned this in previous podcasts, and obviously file, you know, appropriately time wise as well the appropriate documents at each stage. Keep the FDA on or the EMA on the same page as they're, you know, part of the team, essentially. And so, for example, you know, you're, you're going to want to file an IND. Yeah, obviously, you need to have an IND open to, to run a study. But then you're building towards your NDA, your BLA, your marketing application. And there's a lot of documentation decisions that happen along the way. And I think project management has a role there. Um, some project-related 
and project management considerations that we covered here. Um, project definition, you know, defining scope and timeline, module approach to completion of these tasks, including any tools. We talked a little bit about Gantt charts. Um, resources, personnel, and flexibility in the mode of execution. So there's also a project risk analysis involvement here. You know, appropriate risk assessment, mitigation plans to minimize risk, contingency plans to minimize impact of risk that occur. Uh, and again, defining a communication pathway. This is where a good project manager is valuable. Opening communication channels through the project continuum, you know, trying to minimize hierarchy, uh, trying to define expectations of the team, defining those. You know, results-oriented rather than task-oriented is important. Um, emails, phone numbers, those type of things like that. The new softwares, you know, having someone that's a that's that's attuned to those things and, and can pull a team together. So we didn't mention too much of it, but, you know, besides the current uh, climate out there with the pandemic, you know, it's always been the case here. Additional challenges, especially now, the, the new way of drug development where most, if not all, is outsourced, you know, um, most of this discussion here or in the past assumed that the team members were all employed by the same company. You know, often, however, especially now, that's not the case, even though that, you know, they may share the same overall goal. So even so, you know, savvy project managers know that their companies may not share quite the same interests. And uh, this is especially true when you're working with a CRO, contract research organization, or a CMO. And when they're involved, um, project managers and all companies share the same challenges, obviously to ensure that their you know, team members work towards the common goal despite uncommon interests. So this is even more of a challenge in acquisitions and mergers, managing a, a program when a company is being taken over and its personnel aren't certain of their, their personal and financial future, changes from simply tracking activities and resources into coaching each member toward the goal based on the uh, personal, personal integrity of the person. Um, the politics of a merger can obviously either energize or uh, denigrate the energy and synergy of a project team. So, you know, to have someone there um, that has a good handle on that and keep the team together is, is certainly important. In the end, communication and commitment are, are key for all teams in, in anything we do here, any any technical function, but especially for the project manager. And their, uh, their dream is to, I guess, would, you know, talking to a couple project managers, to lead team members who communicate and perform, even when it's personally inconvenient, uh, it's easier for them too, right? And that all benefits the team and its goal. So, Whose side are you on anyway? You know, in today's environment, companies often outsource the work to optimize materials, equipment, and time. When a program moves outside of a company, um, its project team relies on outside team members to engage and execute toward the goal with that same level of commitment as internal team members. So lastly, crisis management, you know, obviously it's additional challenge. It's probably should be its own role right now, uh, but a good PM could kind of conquer this. You know, your program proceeds along the Gantt chart, you know, that you developed from the start, potential delays due to misalignment of any CMC resources, CMO resources, for example, and efforts have been averted, smooth sailing, right? Well, if it all goes well, yes, but not necessarily. You know, you'll you'll have, because, because the project manager can provide the necessary assistance, you can provide the salient points as management communication meetings as needed with minimal interruptions as you apply yourself to resolving, you know, any technical project projects here. So the project manager helps to organize and run any technical meetings, cohesively communicates, you know, provides agenda, meeting minutes, uh, so that all activities are documented. Similarly, he or she can assure that your quality unit remains up to speed on development at hand, you're in line with the agency, and it helps your team ensure that the quality requirements for documentation and investigation are all adequately met on time according to the, uh, you know, the expectations. So the best plus one people, to, to finalize, you know, the consideration box, if you will, 
lists the basic attributes of good project management and by extension, a good project manager. But a highly complex project needs a defined scope and definitive deliverables. Without those, it constitutes an operational activity um, that may not work. So a project manager should have long range uh, perspective on the entire project, quite essential. And he or she is not only anticipating the next hurdle, but also ensuring that the team negotiates all relevant hurdles. A project manager needs to be strong and directive, but restrained in decision-making, allowing the project team to weigh in and create a path forward to ensure a fully developed response you know, to any issues that come up or issues that, that come about. And lines of communication must be open. And a healthy dialogue among team members is very essential. So when a project is well managed, its goals met on time and within budget, the results will be of quality, uh, a good program that's that's not delayed, and you know everyone should get credit for this with a with a good strong project manager. So with that said, I know it was a long-winded ending, but um, thank you again for uh, reaching us here on twenty twenty one. We'll have numerous other podcasts coming up. Uh, season two is a little bit special. We will be changing the format. So in the meantime, you know, hopefully you enjoyed this one. Please go back and listen to any of our other podcasts on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. So next week, I'll be talking with Miranda, again, on some of the importance of regulatory strategy and actually some examples of where I learned my regulatory work and a lot of discussion on some of my mentors and what I learned from them. Um, so how can you make sure your product gets to market so quickly and efficiently as possible? You know, the, the keyword is regulatory strategy. So without a, a strategy, you'll be unable to anticipate challenges and important submission requirements. So let us know what you think, guys, of the topics. We love your feedback. We love your comments. You frequently make us laugh with some of the responses um, or make us think about things we haven't thought about and new ideas. Very important. Uh, please subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. Uh, YouTube, Spotify, Apple music and get notified immediately when the premiere of the next episode of cmc live is out it's the only forum uh, out there i think so far that talks about this stuff uh, we also would love to have maybe potential guests out there in industry um, we see a lot of other content on youtube and you know hopefully that we can build this here as a resource for, for most of us it's an amazing thing we all owe all to you of course and the folks that work in the industry if you like the show and you're into it you know share it widely come back next time next episode for another edition episode of CMC Live. Miranda and Brian and I will see you then. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which include a summary, timestamps, and any links mentioned in this episode, please visit dsinformatics.com forward slash podcast. There you'll find the information from this episode and any past episodes. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash CMC live. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.